Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Mood, the no talking points, no bullshit podcast that takes you behind the curtain, off the red carpet, and to the front lines of progress with changemakers and innovators that are doing the work to shift our culture and expand their social impact. I am so excited to welcome to PM Mood Roderick Cox who is one of the only African American conductors in the world who made you made your debut conducting the New York Philharmonic in March. There's a story to that. No. Yeah. So now, so now, because I, I want to, because I want to jump right in, because I've been excited to talk to you, and we're, you know, in the age of the coronavirus and a global pandemic, we can't escape it. So it becomes a part of every conversation that we've been having on PM Mood. So tell us what happened. It was the week of, I think it, it was around, uh, it was March 11th or something of the sort. And I had just come back from conducting in Mannheim, Germany. And some of the restrictions were coming into place there because okay. Monday night, the first performance we had, the performance was delayed because the government just sent out orders that no more than a thousand people can be in the audience, like just like right. that. And so right. we're having to count people and let people in specifically and turn people away. But still, so Europe were starting to take aggressive measures before the United States. And the next week was my New York Philharmonic debut. It's like, mm -hmm. obviously it's like one of the pinnacle moments of a young conductor's career is to stand in front of the America's oldest orchestra and one of the biggest orchestras to lead it for the first time. And we had been working on this project for, it seemed like, over a year. And uh, I was set to leave for New York on that Saturday. I remember going to bed, arriving back from Mannheim in Berlin on Wednesday, and going to bed, waking up on Thursday morning just from 
seeing a bunch of texts from friends. Have you heard the U.S. travel ban? The president said this. This was before I knew everything about can Americans get in? Can Americans right, get out? Right, right. And I got a, also saw a message from the New York Philharmonic. They were obviously sleep, asleep by the time I read it, but said, can you get on a plane tomorrow? And I was trying to figure out, does that tomorrow mean my today right now, or does it mean Friday? So I'm scrambling with my management in London, all of us trying to figure out what do they mean. And we realized they meant, let's try to get you out of Europe today. So I immediately packed my bags and scrambled and went to the airport. I was on the next flight from Berlin to New York. Mm -hmm. And mid-air, mid-air, I got the news that the Metropolitan Opera canceled. Oh, my goodness. And then next, Carnegie Hall cancels. And those huge pillars in New York cultural scenes, if they're canceling, there was only a little a matter of time before the New York Philharmonic cancels. And so, like an hour later, New York Philharmonic cancels all events. <laughs> and so I'm about five hours from JFK, Berlin's on the in, is in the backdrop, and New York's this way. And so I arrived in New York. I had the option for staying a little bit longer, but I decided to stay two days. Yeah, because I I realized it just felt like the U.S. felt like this ticking time bomb in the sense of you're in the nation's biggest city. There is no testing available. People are still going throughout their lives, and I was coming from Europe and seeing how serious this is and how serious it's going to get, I said to myself, I didn't feel comfortable mm -hmm. staying, not just in New York, but in the U.S. in the sense of it just felt with the lack of information coming from all different parts that it was going to, to get worse. And so I just left two days later and went back to Europe. And actually, I had very little problems traveling. Then I noticed on the news lines very, very long from Americans trying to get yep. back into America and people shuffling around. And so I was actually thankful that I made a pretty decisive decision to just get back home while I could. Because then, as you know, a week later, countries started shutting, shutting down their, their borders. borders. Mm -hmm. So I didn't want to be stuck anywhere but home. So, yeah. Yes, almost oh, made my I'm so, my debut, is, but we'll hopefully it'll happen again. That is just so sad. You know, I can't imagine it was kind of in the same news as they were announcing finally the shutdown of the Olympics and thinking about the amount of training, the amount of preparation that you've put into this historic moment for it not to then transpire. You know, what I think is really uplifting, what I find really uplifting in this moment is how music has been playing such an incredible role in connecting people and to giving them some type of hopefulness. Can you talk about that in the way that, you know, musicians and artists in the midst of this pandemic, leaning on their craft as a way to help you know, usher people towards some type of light. 
lots of music has this very human element of renewal and struggle and coming from something dark to something bright and light. And that has been a consistent theme from uh, really the romantic period, the sense of rebounding or fighting for something greater. And so it's wonderful that music can play those roles in our everyday lives and in our culture. It is that ultimate release for us. And um, that's why it's so important for it to be in our lives and our culture. And I hope that at this time, our government and the people realize how important it is to, to maintain the artistic and cultural fabric of our society because they can go away just like this. And they have gone away. And I worry for many organizations, arts organizations that might not be able to really survive this. And musicians have been laid off all around. The orchestras can't or opera houses can't afford to pay their musicians. But the music still lives within us. It's been very interesting as an artist, being on the other side as a person who's giving the music, not being involved with it because you feel like something is sort of ripped from you. You're trying to figure out when is the next time you'll be able to express yourself and express your art and share it with others. Just some of those sensations of the electricity of having a live audience there to be a part of a performance with you and really putting together a performance with your colleagues. It's just an absolute joy. And so it's been tough, but it's also been a time of reflection to think about music's role in my life and how I can improve upon it. And it makes me even more excited to get back to it one day and to really also realize that it's, it's a true blessing. But yes, even though my performance with the New York Philharmonic did not go forth, I'm also just um, grateful for my safety and health. And I know that I still live in this this privilege in my life that, mm. you know, I get to wake up in the morning and study music and present that to people. And there are people who are actually, who've lost everything in this and their jobs and worrying about how they can feed their families and, and make ends meet. And I try to remind myself and especially others who are on social media, really just complaining, complaining about being in quarantine during this time and that there are know you're you're in quarantine and you're able to be in quarantine in an apartment a three-bedroom apartment yeah. i mean three yeah and there are certain people in societies that two families live in one room and so it's also a great privilege and blessing i often in my work and the different iterations of shows that i do some that are focused specifically around politics and progressive politics and then this one really being about social influence and social impact but you can't escape privilege. You really can't. And I think that, you know, for me, I think that the purpose of recognizing our own privileges in this particular moment is also about having gratitude, right? You recognize that you have this privilege for us to be, you know, engaged with one another from the safety and the comfort of our homes while there are people that don't have a home right? While there are people who don't have the ability to work from home and they must go out and make a living in the midst of all of this and just understanding that there is gratitude to have in the midst of tragedy, right? Mm -hmm. And understand your good fate and fortune. You know, I want to talk a bit because you are originally from Georgia. Yes. Right? 
And, you know, I would assume, and maybe I'm wrong, but I would have assumed, I would assume that growing up, you didn't have many other black conductors to look at for influence or as a guide and as a pathway in your career. How did you get here? How did you move from the church and the choir in Georgia to the world stage as one of the only African-American conductors? That's a wonderful question. I, I mean, I still feel like it presents a problem today because it feels, it's always feels like I'm going into uncharted territory. Even if you have studied music and um, you've sort of accumulated a certain amount of accolades, it still feels like you're going into that rather exclusive room mm -hmm. and um, navigating through that is something I think about today. What is possible? There was only one black conductor I met when I was younger and, and um, his name was James DePriest and he, I was studying conducting in graduate school and he saw one of my videos and invited me to New York before he died to just give me some helpful advice. And that was so very important for me. I think what has helped me is to seek inspiration from other examples of Black excellence also outside of music. I seek inspiration from watching Serena Williams play tennis, which, you know, if she can do it, then I can do it in terms of breaking down these barriers. I seek inspiration from Barack Obama's presidency and all the curveballs he was thrown and still to triumph and from Misty Copeland as a, as a dancer. And so I like to feel that we as a community, even though it may sometimes feel like you're going into uncharted territory or into a room that you're alone, that you're never really alone, that you have a community of people who've done many excellent, great things and have been the first that you can seek inspiration from. And so I try to be mindful of that, even though I, um, I am in a profession where there are very few of us. <laughs> and I think a number of us around the world, we, we know each other or know of each other, and we could probably call I probably can't count us all on both hands. I, it would be tough to put together three in terms of counting us mm. out there. But yeah, I try to support my colleagues where they are and hope and feel like we're all in it together. We know that it's not lack of talent. It's not lack of grit that keeps African-Americans out of many exclusive industries, right? It's none of those things. How do you use, I know that you have an initiative where you provide scholarships to underrepresented groups, right? To inspire young people mm -hmm. to connect with musicianry, classical musicianry. How do you inspire them to connect with something where even still now, there are very few reflections of themselves? I think most importantly, what you can control and what you can't control. Mm -hmm. You can't control some of these mindsets of other people or you can't control other people, I suppose. But what a musician can do, it's hopefully control, like you said, that talent and just nurturing it and growing it and stretching your imagination and putting your energy there and putting very much positive energy in, into that. And hopefully, I'm not saying that if you have the talent, you will make it, but hopefully if you put that energy there and 
become the ultimate professional of your craft, then you can hopefully make it and the doors uh, will open onto you. This is a profession you can't, I suppose, yell your way into it. And, mm. and with your frustration, mm -hmm. you can't make people open doors for you. Mm -hmm. And I've seen this happen. And if you focus on that negative energy, it can really, I think, hold you back and cripple you and push down that talent because I think then people aren't focusing so much on your talent. They're focusing on the negative energy you're putting out. It's very interesting, the great soprano Leontine Price, who was one of the most famous uh, black sopranos uh, that ever lived. I mean, she's still living. I think she's in her 90s there wow. in New York. But she commanded the stages of the Metropolitan Opera, La Scala, in Berlin, all over the world, and was born in the 20s and was born in Jackson, Mississippi. Mm. And for her, every interview you listen to her on YouTube, she speaks so proudly of her country and so proudly of her being an American and the opportunities of being an American her country afforded her. And I'm thinking, like, you had to go to Europe, you had to conquer Italy, you had to conquer Germany, you had to conquer all these great opera houses before the United States Metropolitan Opera gives you a chance to sing there. Why aren't you screaming about that? Why doesn't that frustrate you that you had to do that in order to have those opportunities in America? And it just baffles me that she's able to keep this amazing positive focus and appreciation on being an American and what that meant for her. And I said, isn't that a wonderful constructive use of your time and energy? And so as a musician, especially a musician of color, we have to stay focused on the work. Serena Williams has to stay focused on the tennis and Barack Obama has to stay focused on governing. And that's what I think I try to tell the young people. If I can help them with in my initiative, if I can help them get some of the tools that may keep them back, such as a new instrument or, or instruction uh, from a great teacher or whatnot, that helps the talent move forward. And with the talent moving forward, hopefully people don't have anything else to say. But as you know, we have to be, uh, I hate to say it, but almost twice as good. I was gonna say 10 times, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> twice as good will, will be it. I was going to say 10 times as good as many of the people that you have been naming are, right? They are the extraordinary pillars of their industries. You know, one of the artists whose quote I often go back to and I ask other artists in a variety of spaces how they feel about it is Nina Simone. Mm -hmm. And Nina Simone, when, you know, reflecting on an artist's duty said this, you can't help it. An artist's duty, as far as I'm concerned, is to reflect the times. What do you think about that, about that statement in the times that we are living in right now, where you're speaking about the soprano singer who was born in the 1920s, the times that she was born in in many ways, we can see the journey of how far our politics, our culture has come. But in the same respect, I'm speaking with you and we're still using in the 21st century phrases like one of the first. 
Mm -hmm. right? One of the only. And mm -hmm. so on one hand, you don't want to live a life that is steeped in anger and pain, justifiably so, right? Um, to the barriers, purposeful barriers and obstacles that have been placed in African-Americans and Black people in the diaspora in their way. But at the other time, you also want to reflect the path and the trajectory. How do you manage to do both? Is it possible? Does it change with any given day for you? Well, I think one thing that's really fortunate about Nina Simone versus Leontine Price is that she was a uh, singer-songwriter, so her artistry was coming very much from her own musical voice in terms of her language, her words of sharing and shedding light on that moment, shedding light on what was happening. In classical music, a lot of the times we are, as artists, mainly vessels vessels for which the composer can shine through. So if you are conducting a Tchaikovsky symphony or a Verdi opera, your job is to be this vessel to bring forth that composer's vision for its music, for the music. And sometimes if we let our personal visions or animosity get in the way of that, it's very hard to push that message forward. So it is quite the conundrum, a very good question, but I do believe certain artists in certain other genres are better at uh, shedding light on that. Mm -hmm. I mean, in terms of how hip hop was formed and, and what it grew into before it sort of became what it is today was to kind of shed light on the political and social moments of, of the time. So I think giving those two figures, Leatine and Nina Simone, I think their goals and their, their visions of, at that time were different. But I always say you can lead it's great to lead by example. And I know that there are just so very few African-American conductors in the world on the major stage. And there have been people who've tried to go there and somehow we all, there's this plateauing. I, I think, well, I know in the top 20 orchestras in America, there are no African-American conductors and as music directors. And still in today, they've never been a African-American music director of a major orchestra in our country. Mm. That's frustrating and it's, mm -hmm. it's something I think about and ponder on. And obviously I understand that it's a goal I have. Um, one of the sad things is that in American society, our classical music industry tends to very much look to Europe more so. And um, in the next couple of years, I think when Marin Alsop steps down from the Baltimore Symphony. She's an American, a female American conductor and was the first female conductor in the, I think around 2009 or so wow. to be in charge of a major orchestra in America. So still classical music is this very, <laughs> seems like an even much more exclusive club than the government. Uh, so these boundaries. <laughs> yes. Are, yes. They're these pillars that you just have to really work at chopping them down. And so I just feel that I just have to stay focused on developing and nourishing my talent as an artist and continuing to do the work and not have too many distractions and, and hope that it will 
will work out and hopefully I'll be good enough. And uh, to take the small successes like a debut of the New York Philharmonic as a great achievement as a kid growing up in Macon, Georgia, and, you know, thinking or imagining these things uh, to the point of you're stepping on stage with one of those orchestras you dreamed about is, I think, perhaps what Leontine was talking about. In a way that our country is unfair in many ways, and there's a system that's been built over 100 years for the systematic failure of, of a people, but also in this country, it is a country in which you can come from here and go there. And even in some of the most, even in some of the other industrialized nations that are great and have many things going for them beyond ours, that type of achievement is not necessarily in the minds of his people, that you can be born outside of a certain class or outside of a certain group and still go to such heights. I love that. And I think that's a beautiful sentiment and also beautiful advice, piece of advice to give to young people and just people in general. I think that the harboring of anger, while for me, it can fuel your work in some ways, but for others, it can very much stunt you. And I think that looking at who has come before you and how far they have been able to to grow and to develop in spite of so many things should be used as inspiration and frankly in in ammunition in a lot of ways. I think it's about also channeling that energy like in James Baldwin's uh, The Fire uh, next Next time. time. Yeah at the beginning it just really hit me when he was talking he said there's no reason for you to try to become like white people and there is no basis, whatever, for their impertinent assumption that they must accept you. The really terrible thing, old buddy, is that you must accept them. And I mean that very seriously. You must accept them and accept them with love, for these innocent people have no other hope. They are, in effect, still trapped in a history which they do not understand, and until they understand it, they cannot be released from it. And so, in the sense that it it, it is a society that's built by them with these systems and mechanisms in place. You cannot be burdened by a certain anger. You have to accept them and uh, work with them and work on yourself so that you can break through those, those boundaries and not become complacent or suffer in the system that was built for you to fall down into. And sometimes even them... I hate using them, but them in their privilege don't realize that that system was constructed the way it was. And so I think it was even with the Surgeon General said something to Black people about this and that. We all know that there's some truth to that, Mm -hmm. but it's also, for me, upsetting because you're not telling the whole story. You're not telling the story. You're feeding, into the, you're feeding into a pathology that has been created about Black people in order to justify paternalistic policies that would have us say that we cannot be left to our own devices. And his presumption, the Surgeon General in his statement, was like, well, stop drinking and stop doing these bad things because you're doing these things is causing your illness as opposed to a system that was purposely created to do you harm. Even being where I am right now in the, in the middle of Berlin and 
in a pretty nice neighborhood. If I went back home to parts of where my family lives in, in Georgia, in Macon, and I want to go get a wonderful kale salad, I mean... <laughs> You gonna you gonna get it? Or, or a nice <laughs> go to, go to a nice juice shop and get a nice fresh juice. I mean, or you know, you put together a system where you put these people in these neighborhoods from mm -hmm. decades and decades of discrimination, housing discrimination. Then you pack those neighborhoods with with those liquor stores. Yep, put them in food deserts that. There are no grocery stores. There is no place to get fresh produce from. And you wonder where the underlying conditions came from. They weren't created on their own, you know? And that's the whole, when you say, tell the whole story, right? Tell the whole truth. Don't just pick which parts help amplify this agenda that you're trying to sell. Yeah, I think that's what bothered certain people hearing that because we, we have to be aware as black people of that system and and try not to judge one another uh so greatly because it takes i talked about your ability to go this way in this country but it takes an extraordinary effort from being born in a stasis in a place where you're having to fight versus your counterpart who is having many opportunities that are being handed to them just because of who they are and and the color of their skin so all those people who you know leotine price and all those people that got there like you said they took an extraordinary effort mm -hmm. and sacrifice that is beyond what we would consider a normal hu human being absolutely true exceptionalism True exceptionalism. The last question that I always ask folks on PM Mood is how do you get in the mood to change the world? Just by your presence and your passion in an industry that still only has a handful of African Americans in creating and sharing and bringing music to life for you know, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people around the world. How do you get yourself in the mood to change the world? <laughs> that is a, I tell you that mood changes every now and then, obviously. And uh, it's something that has its ups and downs and, you have, and I struggle with. But it, I think it all comes from you and your, it's about your motivation and determination within yourself because you get what you give if you in this art form to make it to uh the level you wish you have to give 100 percent of yourself and either you're going to decide if you're going to do it halfway or all the way and that motivation that motivation of knowing that i do not want to be at a certain place in my life or in my career where i have what ifs what if i would have studied a little harder what if i would have worked a little harder would i have would i have been there and i'm i may not get to where i want to be but it is it's a journey and just the pursuit of that is the most important thing because i i also don't think this is a profession of real arrivals i mean you should always have this sense of wanting to learn wanting to grow wanting to stretch yourself but also one of the, the big inspirations I feel is like uh, what Leontine Price said was that as an artist it is as amazing 
gift you have and a responsibility you have to be able to to move people in a positive way. And it would be such a travesty if you go on stage and neglect that and not give it your all and not give them your all. Because I still truly believe that music is the ultimate door opener and music is the ultimate unifier. And through music, we can come to understand each other. And like music and unifying us as a human race and understanding each other. Oddly, and unfortunately, this pandemic is that as well. It's a way of showing that no matter how big your guns are or how many nuclear weapons you have or how many technological advances you have, we're all human and we're all organisms and we all have no way of fighting Mm -hmm. uh, this virus. And so with that, we have to realize that we must come together and work as one. So. I think that's my motivation. Thank you, Roderick, so very much. This was extraordinary. Thank um, you, Danielle. I am very hopeful about your return to New York, and I hope that I um, will be able to be in the audience to see it, because I think it's going to be incredible, and it will mean so much at that time, by the time we get there, this reopening and this renewal and this rebirth for the world. So thank you. Well, thank you and stay safe. I will. I will do my best. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to this week's PM Mood. My political podcast, Woke AF Daily, is on Patreon for just $5 a month. That's five new hour-long shows every week for just $5 a month. Join the conversation now at patreon.com slash woke AF. And you can continue listening to PM Mood every week absolutely free. Now more than ever, we see the importance of independent media. So thank you for your support. And as always, stay in the PM Mood to change the world. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. Looking for a fabulous fashion brand that celebrates you? Then look no further than Boston Proper, where styles are designed with you in mind. So you can look and feel amazing, no matter the day, season, or occasion. At bostonproper.com, you'll find fashion that knows you best. For over 30 years, Boston Proper has been the fashion destination for confident women who want to elevate their look with unique, sophisticated clothing at affordable prices. Visit bostonproper.com today. Boston Proper. Wear it like no one else.